All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. It's great to have you with us today, whether you're at one of our campuses or watching this message online. We are in the second week of a series called Raising the Bar, where we've been looking at the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And what may be the most amazing thing about the Sermon on the Mount is its continued relevance to us today. We live in a world of Instagram, Snapchat, and selfie sticks, and yet a message delivered by a guy wearing sandals, a robe from a mountainside is still as relevant as it's ever been. For all of our advances in technology, we still have divorce and adultery. We still struggle to love our enemies and want to take revenge. We still love our money and store up our possessions. We still judge. Today's message is titled Anger and Murder. And it might be the most relevant of those topics because every single one of us, to one degree or another, has an anger problem. Don't believe me? Well, let me give you a short quiz to help you determine how much of a problem anger is in your life. The first question, don't raise any hands on these, by the way. How often do you yell at other drivers? A, rarely if ever, right? You're a very forgiving driver. People are just violating you left and right, cutting in front of you, and you're just like, peace be with you kind of thing as you're driving. (laughs) B, at least once a day. I mean, you just kind of got to get it out of your system, and then you're good to go. C, you use your horn more than your blinker. I mean, you could play Jingle Bells or Mozart on that thing if you really had to. Next question, how often do you complain about food at a restaurant? A, never. Just eat the food. B, only if it's cold or has bugs in it. Takes a fair amount to get you riled up. And then C, regularly... And then you go out in the parking lot and lay on your horn until they get the order correct. Next question here. When you're in the express line at the grocery store or Target, you A, close your eyes and meditate on world peace. B, you count to see if anyone has more than 10 items and look for law enforcement if they do. Or C, you threaten anyone who looks like they're even going to use a coupon. I'm telling you, the express line and checkout lines, they can bring out some ugliness in people. I've told this story before, but a few years ago, I went to Cub Foods just to pick up a few things, and so I went over to the self-checkout area, and all of the self-checkout stations were filled with the slowest people on the planet. It was driving me nuts. Finally, this older gentleman went to bag up his two items that had taken him 10 minutes to purchase. And so without even thinking, I just rushed over and started scanning my things. I first put my first item, some uh, plastic cups, on the conveyor belt when all of a sudden this older gentleman looked at me and in the most rude and angry tone, he growled, you can't even wait for me to bag up my stuff? I was in complete shock. I didn't even say a word. I kind of just went like, ooh, sorry about that and went back to scanning my other items. But then he pushed the reverse button on the conveyor belt and sent my plastic cups back up towards me. I thought, oh, no, you didn't. (laughs) So again, I didn't say a word. I just pushed the button and sent them back down. He pushed the button and sent them up. I pushed the button and sent them back down. It was like a scene out of grumpy old men, except for the fact that I'm 37 years old. Finally, I wore him down. He just bagged up his stuff, gave me a final glare, and walked out, and I thought, I won. But then I saw the clerk who was in charge of the self-checkout area staring at me like I was nuts, and I thought, I lost. (laughs) But isn't that true? Checkout lines, the freeway, airports, they are like a petri dish for anger. 
So let me ask you, how's your anger these days? On a scale of one to 10, what would your roommates, your friends, your spouse, or your kids, what would they say that your anger is? Now, some of you might wonder, well, who cares? I mean, so what if I get angry now and then? It's just kind of my personality. If other people can't deal with that, well, then tough. Or, or maybe you might say, you know, if you lived in my house with my family, or if you had my life, you'd be angry too. And you might be right about those things, but you need to know what a devastating effect anger can have on your health and on your relationships. Studies have shown this. You are three times more likely to have a stroke and 19% more likely to get heart disease if you are an angry person versus if you're not an angry person. Anger weakens your immune system. It causes you to be more susceptible to illnesses. And then get this. Two hours after an angry outburst, your chances of having a heart attack double. I mean, just think about that. Now let's talk about the relational effects of anger. Hard to have a good marriage with a person who's frequently angry. I mean, that's just really, it's hard to be in that kind of relationship. Hard to have a good relationship with your parents or with your kids if one person is constantly angry. I talk to people all the time who are alone, and they will admit that in part, it's their anger that has gotten them there. I'll talk to people who are now grown up, and they're able to reflect back on their childhood, and they'll describe what it was like growing up in a home with an angry person. I have seen some of the most gifted and talented people lose their jobs for just one reason. They couldn't control their temper. Look what the Bible says about this in Proverbs 15. It says, A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. If you have a lot of conflict in your life right now, my guess is that a hot temper is involved. Because a hot temper leads to conflict, Conflict leads to stress, and stress leads to death. I mean, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that for some of you, your anger is killing you. It's killing your marriage. Just pushing your spouse away. It's killing your relationship with your kids or with your parents. It's killing your future in that company, and if you're not careful, one day, it might just kill you. And so today, I want to take you to one of Jesus' most powerful teachings on anger because I believe that this can help some of us come to grips with our anger. But before we get to Jesus, I want to set the stage by looking at some common myths that people have about their anger. The first myth is this, other people or things are the cause of my anger. Yes, toy boxes that say easy to assemble on the outside will make any normal person angry when you open them up and actually begin assembling that toy. Yes, I know that when your husband shaves and leaves his whiskers all over the bathroom sink, that can be infuriating. I understand that when your wife is sitting on the couch crying because she's watching an episode of The Bachelor, that is both confusing and very irritating to a normal sane person. But here's what you need to know. Other people and things are not the cause of your anger. You want to know who makes you mad? You make you mad. You are responsible for your anger. And until you come to the point of recognizing that, this will continually be a struggle. 
Second myth that people have about their anger is, I can't control my anger. I just can't control my temper. There's nothing I can do. Let me prove to you this isn't true. Have you ever seen someone who's having an argument, and it's pretty heated? I mean, they're yelling, things are flying, and all of a sudden, they get a phone call. And the phone call is from their boss, or it's from their kid's teacher at school, and it's a call that they need to take. What happens? They're like, hello, how are you? I'm great. I'm having a great day. How are you? Okay, well, I'll do that. All right, well, God bless you. Thanks for calling now. And then they're right back to it. You can control your temper. If the stakes are high enough, you will. Proverbs, again, 29 says this. A fool gives full vent to his anger. No restraint whatsoever. But a wise person quietly holds back. You have the ability to hold back your anger. Here's the third myth about anger. Quiet people are less angry. There's actually two kinds of angry people. There's the spewer. They express their anger. Actually, express might be a little bit polite. They can tend to explode. You don't have to wonder if a spewer is angry or not. You can see the steam coming out of their ears, the eyeballs bulging, the, you know, their face is red. They don't have a problem expressing their anger. But then there's a second kind of angry person, and that's the stewer. A stewer doesn't express their anger. They suppress it. They sort of just stew on it. Know anybody like this? My wife was reading this message. She's like, that's kind of you, because, which was nice of her to point that out. But sometimes my kids will be talking. They'll, be, they'll say, Dad, who are you talking to right now? Because I'll be sitting on the couch, and my lips will be moving but no words will be coming out. So I'll be like, in my head, I'm thinking about what they said and what I wished I would have said and why they're so wrong. And I'm having this argument in my mind, but no words are actually coming out. Know anyone like this? Give you the silent treatment. What's the matter? Nothing. Well, it seems like something is a matter. It is a myth that quiet people are less angry. So with those three myths out of the way, let's look at what Jesus had to say about anger in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, you have heard that the law of Moses, that's in the Old Testament, says do not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Everybody would have sort of agreed with that. But then Jesus says this, but I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. In Jesus' day, there was a group of religious leaders known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they liked to look really good and spiritual to other people. Jesus at one point compares them to a cup. He's like, you're like a cup that's clean on the outside, but it's filthy on the inside. Other people look at your life and go, oh, look at that spiritual person. But deep down in your heart, there's a lot of sin there. And so the Pharisees, they used to make a big deal out of the fact, oh, I don't murder. I've never committed adultery. And Jesus is trying to point out that internal attitudes lead to external actions. And God cares about both. Yes, murder is the external action, but anger is the internal attitude. Anger is heart murder. You could even say it this way. Anger is a felony. Now, before I read Jesus, I never would have thought of my anger that way. 
I would have thought, oh, my anger is not a big deal. It's just, it's just part of who I am. But then listen to what Jesus says in the next verse. He says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, this word raka was a quasi-swear word in Aramaic. So you just learned a brand new swear word in church. But the idea here is it means empty-headed or fool. Maybe the best equivalent today would be idiot or moron. But can you believe what Jesus is saying here? Anger is a felony? If you call someone a fool, you're in the danger of hell? Before you start thinking, I'm going to hell because of what I called that guy who cut me off in traffic yesterday, you need to know that Jesus is making a very specific point here. First of all, when he says fool or moron, he doesn't mean it in the jesting way when we kind of just flippantly say that about someone. He's talking about people who genuinely think that person does not have any worth or value. But secondly, the Pharisees, they thought that they were right with God because they avoided the big sins. Like, I've never murdered anybody, and I've never committed adultery, and I look really good on the outside. And Jesus is saying to them, no one's righteous. Every single one of us sin. We all have anger in our heart. That's why we need Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. So I don't want to diminish the uncomfortable tension in Jesus' teaching here, but I also want to give you a fuller picture of what the Bible says about anger. And what the Bible says about anger is this. Anger in and of itself, is not a sin. Ephesians 4.26 says this, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, it's possible to be angry, but not sin. In fact, this may surprise you, but Jesus got angry. He was angry with a bunch of swindlers who turned the temple of God into a marketplace to sell their goods at inflated prices. He went through the temple flipping over their tables. He calls the Pharisees, that group that I referenced earlier, he refers to them as a brood of vipers. So it's not a sin to get angry because Jesus got angry. In fact, there is a thing called righteous anger. You ought to be angry when you hear about little girls being sold into slavery. You ought to be angry when another person hurts someone that you love. It's not a sin to be angry but it can be a sin in how you deal with your anger. So how should you deal with your anger? Well, Jesus says, head on. Look at what he says in the very next verse. He says this, So if you are standing before the altar in the temple, offering a sacrifice to God, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice by the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, that verse doesn't surprise us very much, but Jesus' audience would have been shocked by this. Because first of all, some of them had to walk three days just to get to the temple. So here's Jesus going, you know, when you get to the temple and you're about to make that sacrifice, and you remember that there's a person back home that you're not right with, we well, should walk three days back there make it right, and then come three days back to make your sacrifice. Huge commitment. And then secondly, in the first century, nothing was more important than making a sacrifice to God. That was how you atoned for your sins. And yet here's Jesus saying, just, just put that on hold for a moment. Go deal with this over here first. 
seems that just like we hate watching our kids fight with each other, that God hates watching his kids fight with one another as well. So let me ask you, who do you need to reconcile with? Who is a person that comes to your mind and you go, you know, they have something against me. We're not right. We need to reconcile that relationship. Maybe it's not so much one relationship as it's just there's a relationship in your life where anger is frequently an issue for you. So in our time left, let me give you three ways to reduce your anger. I don't know that you're ever fully going to remove your anger, but you can reduce it. And the first way is this, save as a draft. There's this little tab on the left-hand side of your email that very few of you ever use. It's called save as a draft. Here's how it works, because I know you don't use it, but you can actually write an email. And then instead of hitting send right away, you can save it as a draft. That way you can read it the next morning and decide if you actually want to send that email or not. So when your kid's teacher does something that upsets you, and you're firing off an email and calling them a raka and all sorts of other things, you don't have to send, hit send right away. You can save it as a draft and wait on it until the next day. When you get a text message from someone that really, really bothers you and offends you, you don't have to fire off a text right away. You can wait a little while. You can save it as a draft. I call this the power of the pause. I learned about the power of the pause several years ago when I was mowing my lawn. My wife left to go get her hair highlighted. That is like a two-hour ordeal. Five minutes after she left, I got done mowing the lawn and came around to the garage, and I discovered that Sarah had shut the garage door as she was leaving. At our old house, we didn't have a code that you could punch in and have the door go up. I didn't have a key on me. All of our doors were locked. I was completely locked out of my house. So I went into the backyard, I sat down on a lawn chair, and I started having one of those conversations. I'm like, "Mm, did you not hear me mowing the lawn? Did you not know I couldn't get into the house? And I'm having this conversation, but after about 15 minutes or so, I ended up just closing my eyes. And the sun was beating down, and somehow I fell asleep. I actually woke up as Sarah was pulling back into the driveway. And guess what? I wasn't angry anymore. We actually laughed about the whole thing. But what had changed? Nothing. Other than the fact that I was forced to pause and let some time go by. Most of our anger is reactionary in nature. So she says something, and then you say something back, and then she says something back to you, and so you give it back to her, and the energy level just keeps going up and up. You got to pause. You got to save it as a draft. Look what the Bible says in James chapter one. He says, brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. Your anger can never make things right in God's sight. Does that describe you? Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. For too many of us, the opposite of that is true. In fact, sometimes in sports, you'll hear people talk about quick twitch reactions. It's the quick twitch reaction that allows a baseball player to turn on a 90 mile an hour fastball. He doesn't have time to think about that. He's just reacting to it. Spiritually speaking, it's our quick twitch reactions that make or break us in critical moments. 
So that moment right after someone insults you, right after they embarrass you or criticize you, what is your quick twitch reaction? Are you slow to speak? Quick to listen? Slow to get angry? You know, I'll just be honest. I, I, I struggle with this. When my kids are yelling and fighting with one another, I'm not necessarily slow to anger. But I'm learning to say something like, you know, just go to your room and I'll be up in just a moment to talk with you about this. That gives me the pause that I need. Sometimes you just got to save it as a draft. Here's the second way to reduce your anger. Ask yourself, what's behind my anger? Anger is not a primary emotion. You know, like with colors, you've got primary colors, and then you've got colors that are made up of a combination of other colors. Anger is not a primary emotion. It's an emotion that's made up of a combination of other emotions, usually fear, frustration, embarrassment. That's why it's so helpful to step back and go, why am I really angry about this? Because otherwise, you're just dealing with the surface issue and not the root cause. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. Some of us got to church late today. I'm not going to make you stand up or call you out in public, but I saw you come in late. I saw you at the campuses come in late. You were late. Now, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. I know it wasn't your fault. It was the person you came with's fault. You kept telling them, hurry up, get in the car. We're going to be late. And they're just putzing around in the bathroom. And then you got out on the road and you tried to drive fast, but you got stuck behind some rocka driving five miles an hour under the speed limit. And then you pulled into our parking lot and you tried to cut through the cones, but our parking volunteers wouldn't allow that. And then you got into the auditorium and you realized that somebody was sitting in your normal seat. And it's like, well, don't they know that's my seat? Now, anger is on the surface, but what's the root emotion here? Well, it's frustration or maybe a little bit of embarrassment. Or how about this scenario that comedian Ken Davis talks about? A husband and wife get woken up in the middle of the night by a thumping noise downstairs. It sounds like there's somebody down there bumping into things. And so the husband and wife look at one another and they go, oh, what was that? Now, according to the Constitution of the United States of America, whose job is it to go down there and check that out? Well, it's the husband's job, right? So the wife looks at the husband. She says, aren't you going to go down there and see what that is? And the husband's thinking, great. There's some axe-wielding, bloodthirsty, mouth-foaming, homicidal maniac down there who just escaped from the maximum security prison, and I'm going to go down and scare him in my whitey tighties. I mean, that's just going to work really great. So you turn to your wife, and you go, why don't you go down there? And she's like, well, I don't have my makeup on. I don't think it's a good idea. Now, anger is on the surface, but what's the root issue here? It's actually fear. Look what the Bible says in James chapter 4. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? I mean, why is it that you really get angry? He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. James says, here's the real reason that we quarrel and we fight. Here's the real reason that we get angry. It's because our desires aren't being met. We want our way. We want attention. We want recognition. 
and we're not getting that desire. It's not being met, and so we get angry. That's why it's so helpful to step back and ask yourself, why am I really angry right now? Men, I'm asking you to think about your emotions. I know this is the equivalent of shopping at Bed Bath & Body Works or Michael's for some of us, but I'm telling you, it is so helpful. When you go, you know, I'm not really upset that my kids spilled that. I'm actually really angry because I'm embarrassed in public. It's kind of like this mom who put this sign on her kid's back. Don't judge my mom, I dress myself. (laughs) That parent should get an award. That is great parenting right there. Because I have one boy who wants to wear shorts in the winter. I have another son who wants to wear cowboy boots with his shorts. I have another son who thinks that dark navy blue and black make a great match with one another. And then there's my daughter who's perfect. But here's my point. When you step back and you realize, wait a minute, here's why I'm really angry. It helps you deal not just with the surface issue, but with the root cause. Some of you may need to go to see a counselor to help you do this. I mean, you might just be angry and you're not really sure why. And sometimes it's so helpful to have a professional who can sit down and help you dig into that a little bit. Maybe you're still angry about that divorce or that event that happened in your life and this other person can help you work through that. Here's the third way to reduce your anger. Tell yourself, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. This past October, I took my daughter Isabel, who's six years old, over to Rice Creek Park to go on a bike ride. We had just gotten her a new bike. It was too big for her. The plan was she was going to drive it this spring, but she was so excited to try it out. So I brought her over, and I actually had to help her up onto the bike because it was too tall for her. But once she got on it, she just took off. And Isabel can kind of get in her own little world, especially when she's biking. And so she hums or she makes car engine noises. And so she just kind of took off, and away she went. Pretty soon, I couldn't see her. So I started to run up, and I realized that the path had split in three different directions. I had a one in three chance. I went right. I encountered a runner a little bit later, and he said, yep, she's, she's ahead of you, but she's way up there. I mean, she's really fast. And I said, she's really in trouble. And so I took off my sandals, and I began to run. It was getting dark. We were in a forest. And finally, I saw her little pink helmet bobbing away about a mile ahead of me. And so I yelled out as loud as I could, Isabel, you stop right now. But instead of stopping and turning around, she turned past a gated-off area onto another bike path and just kept going. By now, I am absolutely furious. I finally catch up to her, and I have to physically grab onto her bike to make her stop moving. I am just about to let her have it when I realize she's crying. She said, Dad, I was afraid I was going to fall, and I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop the bike, and I was so high up, I thought I was going to fall off, so I just kept going because I was afraid. Ever get angry based on an assumption? You think, oh, they're not listening to me. Well, no, they're really just afraid. You think, they're so lazy. Actually, they're sick. They did that to get back at me on purpose. 
No, that was the furthest thing from their mind. Sometimes we get angry about things that aren't even true. That's why it's helpful to think, you know what, I could be wrong. And that's hard to do, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to sit in a meeting at work and be engaged in a pretty, you know, vicious argument or robust argument, and then you think to yourself, I could be wrong. It's hard to be sitting and talking to your roommate and having your roommate list off all the things that you have done poorly and think, you know what, maybe I am in the wrong here. It's hard to do it in marriage. My wife and I are always convinced we're right. You know, if one of us says, well, I've been doing so much more around the house than you lately, we are absolutely convinced that we're right. But then what always happens is this, we feel a little nudge. And that little nudge just says, go say you're sorry. Go reconcile with that person. Friends, the best marriages don't wait for the other person to reconcile first. They move towards each other. And so let me ask you, who do you need to move towards today? That relationship's been going like this. You need to move towards one another. Recently heard a story by Pastor Chris Beal, who's a pastor at a church down in Oklahoma. And he talked about how when he was a little kid, his dad did not control his temper very well. And so Chris can remember thinking as a very little kid, if I ever get to be a parent, I'm going to treat my kids differently. Well, fast forward 25 years later, Chris is married. He has two elementary-aged boys. But this past year has been a hard one for their family. Their house burned down, and they lost everything. And so they're renting a home. Chris is trying to rebuild a house, and then he's working a full-time job at the same time. Chris came home from work one day, and his wife kind of pulled him aside, and she said, Hey, uh, can I talk to you for just a moment? She said, For the last two weeks, the boys will ask me, Hey, Mom, what kind of mood do you think Dad's going to be in when he gets home today? And Chris was like, Ooh. Ever have a moment like that? Where you just go, Oh, I'm becoming the father that I never wanted to be. I'm becoming the mom... I'm becoming the spouse or the friend or the person that I never wanted to be. And so Chris moved towards his boys. He went to their room and he said, hey, guys, do you get intimidated by me when I'm stressed out? And the boys were like, yeah, Dad, we really do. And then Chris asked his boys a question that I would encourage every single parent here today to ask your kids, and it's this, what can I do better? And right away, both boys were like, oh, dad, we, we get it. You know, we know that you're stressed out about the house and about your job, but it would be so fun if we could just have some fun together every now and then. And Chris is like, oh, I can do that. And so starting on that day, he made it a goal that he was going to make his boys laugh at least once a day. Body function jokes if all else fails. <laughs> but he was going to make his boys laugh. And then once a month, he would take his two boys out for a guy's night because Chris doesn't want the primary emotion in his home to be anger. Let me ask you, what is the primary emotion in your home these days? What's the primary emotion in your apartment or your dorm room or your workplace? You know, I know a lot of people beat themselves up about their anger, and so I want you to know I struggle with this. But my saving grace has been a willingness to go to my kids and say, please forgive me for how harshly I spoke to you back there. And what I've noticed is that my kids have begun to model that behavior. My oldest son, just this week, 
said, Dad, I'm really sorry for that anger earlier. I'm going to give you a verse from the Bible that I want to encourage you to memorize. It's Proverbs 15.1. Put this on your phone. Write it down if you have to, but it just says this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Isn't that true? Someone says something to you, and you can go, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. You're right. Or, or I don't know about that, but I'll, I'll think about that. I'll take it into consideration. Thanks for sharing. A gentle answer just pushes away wrath. But a harsh word, you go back at them, and then they go back at you, and it just stirs up the anger. Let me give you a prayer to pray this week. And this is a prayer for when you're at work and you're going into that meeting or you're pulling into your garage about to face your family after a long day at work. And the prayer just says this, Lord, make me slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to get angry. Make me slow to speak, because I could be wrong about this. And make me quick to listen. Let me pause just for a moment and listen and hear that person's perspective. And then, Lord, make me slow to get angry. Because a gentle answer pushes away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Let's stand together as we close and pray at all of our campuses. God, my guess is that there are some of us here today who anger really has become an issue, but we've been unwilling to admit that. And God, I pray that you would give us the courage to admit that our anger is causing problems at home and at work and to take some steps to change that. And God, I know there are others of us here who just hate it when we lose our temper and hate it when we can't control our words and we even just beat ourselves up about behaving that way. God, I pray for power from your spirit to do something that we can't do in our own flesh, that you would allow us to be slow to anger, that you would allow us to control our words. And God, I, I just thank you for Jesus Christ and the fact that you pay our penalty on the cross. There's no one righteous, God but we have you as our savior. And God, I thank you for your word, which is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. That's incredible, God, that these words that Jesus spoke still deal with the issues that we're facing in our lives and in our homes today. God, I thank you for your word and how it's unchanging and its power never diminishes. God, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.